We're going to be moving into a series that, uh, man, I just can't wait. It's uh, Walk Like Jesus. And as we prepare our hearts, it's hard to believe with the weather. But one of these days, Easter is going to come. Did you know that? April 21st. And as we're moving towards Easter, uh, this series, I think, is going to help us prepare our hearts of what it would be like, seriously, to what it would be like to be like Jesus, to strive to walk like Jesus and, and be like Jesus, to control our our mind, and every area of our life. And that's what we're going to get into. And before we do that, let's pray for God's blessing. Uh, Heavenly Father, I just praise you for the power of your word. And we thank you that out of this word, uh, we discover your son. And we discover just how much you love us through your son. And Lord, we want to be just like Jesus. And it's a battle, and it's a struggle. But Lord, help us as a church to encourage one another to walk like Jesus, to think like Jesus, and eventually that others can see Jesus in us and everything that we say and everything that we do. And it's in Jesus' precious and holy name that I pray. Amen. So let me just start off with what I would call the big idea. Here's what we're going to hit today. Jesus fully intended us to walk as he walked. That's really it. Jesus fully intended us to walk as he walked. Uh, we live in a world, I'm sure you know this, that is a step counting culture. How many of you count your steps? Anybody on your phones? Good. Five or six of you? Good. That's, you need to start doing that. You may, rem <laughs> you may remember this a few years ago. Uh, this was a big deal in the 90s, uh, and that was the WWJD. How many raise your hand if you wore one of those bad boys proud? Okay. Okay. That was, that was a big deal, and that came out of a book called In His Steps, and really it's what would Jesus do? And that's a great question every day. What would Jesus do? Uh, I got hung up last year. Uh, I like to set goals, don't achieve a lot of the goals, but I still set them. And uh, one of the goals was uh, 10,000 steps a day. So some of you are probably trying to do that. Uh, that's 3,650,000 steps over a year. So I got to 3,261,640 steps. I mean, it wasn't like I was counting or anything. But anyway, we all go through these challenges of and driven by, I got to get my, I'll hear people say that, I got to get my steps in. Now, here's the thing about those steps. It's great. Maybe it helps us get in shape. But what matters most is not how many steps we take. It's that we're taking those steps to get closer to Jesus Christ. And that's what we hope to do in these next few weeks, preparing our heart. Life is not measured by the breaths that take away our life, but it's the moments that take our breath away. Jesus wants to take our breath away through the steps that we take. Listen to what Dan Spader says about what a disciple is. A disciple is literally a follower, a pupil, a learner, an apprentice. He or she is the one who has been dedicated not only to follow his master, but also become like him. And in order to become like Jesus, we really need to adapt his habits. And that's what we're going to get into this morning. If you're taking notes... Uh, we're just going to get into two major habits of Jesus, and it comes out of Philippians chapter 2. We're going to start in verse 5. I love Philippians 2. And here's the first habit. Jesus had the mindset to serve others. Every moment of his life, Jesus was always thinking about others. Follow with me in verse 5. Your attitude should be the same as Jesus Christ, being made in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant. And by the way, that word in Greek 
means a slave. Now think about that. Being made in human likeness. So Jesus every day surrendered his life for others. And that's hard to do. Now when we talk about developing the habits of Jesus, let's back up and ask ourselves, what is a habit? A habit is a settled tendency of a, of a usual manner or behavior. Now usually when you hear the word habit, we always think negative. But you can also develop positive habits. Uh, but let's be transparent with one another, okay? Let's look deep in our souls. So if somebody sitting beside you has a bad habit, would you raise your hand? If somebody sitting next to you, go ahead and yell what it is. Anybody? Oh, we're not that transparent, are we? Yeah. You can tell it's Valentine's Day. Yeah. All of us, deep down, we know we've got good habits and bad habits that form in our life. Now, I'm going to give you some disturbing news, okay? Um, I've heard this for years, and I, I did some research, and I found out that it's false. But uh, I've heard for years that there's a certain number of days, if you do it in a row, you can develop a good or bad habit. Anybody know what that number is? 21. That's a lie. Yeah, so I used to, you ever go through, now here's how I know. I've, I've been through this several times in my life. I know none of you have. I know none of you this year did what I did. Uh, January 2nd, cut myself some slack. I'm like, this is it. I'm tired of it. I'm getting in shape. I'm going to lose weight. I know what happens. About three weeks in, I hate myself. You know, you go through that. I remember years ago, I, uh, this was back when I actually was in shape and I was at the YMCA. I used to get so annoyed by people like me at the very beginning of the year and the, the place would be jammed with people. You couldn't move. And I remember I complained, you know, to you know, somebody else in the gym. I'm like, what are they doing here? You know, and they're like, three weeks, they'll be gone. Every time. By Groundhog's Day, everything was back to normal. So it takes more than 21 days. Matter of fact, uh, I was reading through the European Journal of Social Psychology. <laughs> you know that's a lie. This is, I didn't read it, but it's a great read. But it's 66 days. Now think about that. 66 days to actually move your attitude and everything to where actually this is becoming a habit. So I was digging and I found... And this is interesting. I found this guy that was developing a hardcore habit in his life. His name is Robin Sharma. And here's what he's trying to revolutionize people's time. And he's beginning a club. Are you ready for this? It's called the 5 a.m. club. And his whole thing is if you get up every day at 5 a.m., you can't imagine how much more you can get done. And you can imagine how many people are like, Robin, I love you. No, they, they're like, you are, you're nuts. And so he said, here's the deal. It all starts with your mind. It is a battle of the bed. How many of you had a battle of the bed this morning? Sure you did. You're here second service. Come on, okay. <laughs> Who's kidding who? And you know there are folks, they woke up and they go, oh my land, it's a blizzard. Can't go to church. Yeah. Sinners. Okay, so <laughs> the second one is mind over mattress. Mind over mattress. And I'm like, that's exactly what happens. But he said, if you can get over the battle of the bed and the mind over mattress, you can do this. Now, here's what he said would be the number one challenge to getting up at 5 a.m. And I, I love this. In all seriousness, listen to this. He said, it's dramatic distractions. How many of you this past week had dramatic distractions? Think about it. We all do. There's so many things on our list that prevent us from moving forward in life. 
And so we just take a habit that could be a good habit and we bury it because we just give ourselves all the excuses, that inner voice says you can't do it, or start it another day, start it another day. And what he's saying is battle through it. And I believe that's what they saw with Jesus. Jesus with his mind, every moment of his life, never gave in to dramatic distractions. He was laser focused on, I will serve others. But do you know what the largest dramatic distraction is? Can I be brutally honest? It's ourselves. Because let's be honest, we are selfish people. You know, I don't battle it, but I know all of you do. You know, isn't that true? We all battle it because it's so easy to think, first of all, how is this going to affect me? But imagine giving your life completely, even to the point of, Lord, help me to overcome the dramatic distractions in life, which includes myself. There was a research done in Cleveland. It was interesting. They were studying the effects of uh, social media, specifically selfies, because they said, man, there's a whole culture of selfies being taken, and is it moving positive or negative? And here's what they said from all the results. They found that there was a lot of uh, self-confidence, attention-seeking, social competition, and even mood modification. The doctor who conducted it, Dr. Bray, said this, focusing on ourselves tends to enhance bad feelings, and sometimes we try to counteract those bad feelings, and they're not always healthy. You see what he's saying? We live in a culture that is obsessed with ourselves, and he said, we're paying the consequence. Now, doesn't that sound very familiar with what we just read? Look at the mind of Jesus Christ, taking on the attitude of Christ, who took on the very nature of God, who became, verse 7, nothing, taking on the very nature of what? A slave, a servant. So Jesus said, I just, I can't picture if Jesus were walking around today taking selfies. Do you, can you see that? Peter, John, come on, big one, you know, no. No, Jesus was about what? Others. Now, here's how you know, just so you don't have to feel guilty, but it'd be good if you did. Here's how you know you're a little selfish, okay? Because I'm the same way. Let's move away from selfies to group pictures. The person who looks at a group picture and says, that's a good group picture. Why is it a good group picture? Because they look good. Come on. <laughs> don't we always start by looking at ourselves, even if like, Three people have their eye closed. Somebody's throwing up. Good hair day. That's a great group picture, you know. Why? Because deep down, what happens? We always begin with ourselves. Valentine's Day is approaching. And uh, this is remarkable. 52% of all the chocolate uh, purchased on Valentine's Day are for individuals. Think about that. People wake up Valentine's Day. I hate this. I'm going to eat my own chocolate. That's how they, I mean, that's how many people live their entire, so we need to change our perspective. Even with Valentine's Day, let's change our perspective. So here's, here's something that might help. So let's say this Valentine's Day isn't what you wanted it to be, okay? Remember this, 90 years ago, we had the uh, St. Valentine's Day Massacre, seven gangsters shot in Chicago. So if your Valentine's Day doesn't go well, just say, yeah, it could be worse. It could be worse. You change your mind 
and everything else in your attitude begins to change. It starts by saying the same thing with Jesus. Jesus, I, I want to be like you. I want to think like you. You realize that Jesus came to serve us in every way, even in his teachings. Thirteen of the parables mentions servants. Six of his parents, or six of his parables focus on the very idea of being a servant. That's the big idea. Be a servant. I love this. I asked, why doesn't somebody do something? And I realized I was somebody. And that's when you know you're thinking like Jesus. I'm sure all of you this week, uh, with the weather and as crazy as it was, uh, saw people helping other people throughout the week. Uh, that day that we had that flash flood or whatever that was, and, and, and it took me forever. Marie and I were talking about how the different ways it took to get home, and I'm sure many of you experienced the same thing. But I also saw an awful lot of people out there helping other people. And that's what Christ wants us to do. He could care less that we go to work and we wear a what would Jesus do bracelet and I love Jesus t-shirt if our words don't match how we treat other people. That's what people want to see. They want to know that we have the mindset to serve others the way that Jesus did. And the second habit that I absolutely love about Jesus is Jesus was obedient to his calling. He was so obedient to his call. Look at verse 8. Being found in the appearance as a man. And we're going to get into this next week in a big way. How important it is that we know Jesus was God, but this was, this was man. And he bled and he hurt just like us. He humbled himself and he became obedient. I love that. Obedient to death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place. And he gave him the name that is above every name. In the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. In John 14, 21, in the New Living Translation, it says, Those who accept my commands and obey are the ones who love me. Now, I love the way that this is broken down in the Holman Illustrated Bible. And this is the definition of obedience. Obedience is to hear God's word and act accordingly. Don't you love that? What's obedience? Hearing God's word and then act accordingly. And we have people all over the world that do that, and it makes a huge difference. Uh, there's a book entitled Kisses uh, from Katie. And it's a remarkable story of, at the time, Katie Davis. She's married now. But Katie Davis, uh, remarkably, uh, at 18 years old, and we saw some college students up here, examples of young people making a huge difference. At 18 years old, she went to, from Brentwood, Tennessee, she arrived in Uganda for the first time, and God got her heart. In 2007, she went back to Uganda to teach kindergarten in an orphanage, and God said, there's more to do. And so she was able to get sponsors from the United States. One sponsor connected with one child in that orphanage because she realized so many of these kids in the orphanages, they're getting food, but they're not getting education. She said, this orphanage will be different. They're going to be educated just like they are in the private schools. And so she set out to do that. Today, over 600 kids in that orphanage will not only get food, they get complete education. But she didn't stop there. In 2008 and 2009, she adopted 13 little girls. 
Now imagine that. And I love what she said. People were lifting her up and saying, I can't believe how amazing you are, and she'd have none of it. So here's what she said. People tell me that I'm brave, and they tell me that I'm strong. They tell me, good job. Well, here's the truth of it. I'm not really that brave, and I'm not really that strong. I'm not doing anything spectacular. I'm doing what God called me to do as a follower of him. Feed his sheep, do unto the least of his people. And so every day she wakes up and she said, how can I serve people today? How can I help somebody less fortunate to me? And in essence, she's saying, how can I be like Jesus? I was thinking about um, when you're preaching in youth ministry, all the stuff I've done over the years, you're always looking for a story or you're looking for an illustration and uh, there are times you use uh, risky illustrations because they can go south really quick, especially if you're using objects and all kinds of things. Uh, and so I had read about this illustration, and I thought, well, that was done in a classroom, but if I did it in a big setting, it could, it could be my last Sunday at Sherwood Oaks. So anyway, it was, um, this was a few years ago, and it was on obedience. And so um, I had uh, some folks in the church uh, John and uh, Sherry Newcomer, and they uh, trained dogs. And they had this amazing dog named Shooter, and he was actually a drug-sniffing dog. <laughs> he loves Bloomington, by the way. So anyway, um, so uh, they said, now, what is it you want to do? And I said, okay, I know this is crazy, but I'm going to talk about obedience. So I would like to stand on the stage and if you could bring Shooter up on the stage, and then if you'll go to the very back of the church, and then I'm going to have three, four people in the congregation yell out his name, and he'll just sit there, and then when you call out his name, he'll run to you in the church, all three services. And they said, piece of cake. I said, well, let me back up and run you through this again. Now, I need the dog. You know, I went through the whole thing. I said, has he, you know, has he killed anyone? Is he a dumb dog? You know, so I went through the whole thing. Does he get nervous around crowds, you know? So anyway, they said, John, you, you have nothing to worry about. And uh, so I, uh, I had one person who was successful, extremely successful, successful and I said, uh, so-and-so is uh, financially very successful. He's going to call out Shooter's name. And so, Shooter! I mean, that dog was laser-focused. And then I said, now we're going to have somebody who isn't successful, but he loves Jesus, Tim Thompson. So if you know who that is, and then, you know, shooter, and that dog, nothing. I said, now I'm going to introduce you to a, a woman who was actually in high school, the homecoming queen. She goes, shooter. Now, nah, shooter did get, you know, a little, you know, he did a little look, but nothing. And then as soon as they said, the, the, the master all has says, shooter, boom. Now, last service, he jumped over the communion table. That was a little shady, but anyway... Just to watch it. But I, the illustration I use, and I still think about it, still runs through my mind, is he was only listening for one voice. And that's all it meant. Man, he, everything else was just noise until I heard the master's voice. That's how Jesus lived every day. That's what he wants us to do. Every day we wake up and we say, I just want to serve others like Jesus. That's it. Now, is that hard? Yes. But that's why we're here. We're here to encourage each other and support one another because uh, Jesus never said it was going to be easy to be like him, but he wants us to walk with him 
and walk like him. I love the fact that we break bread together every week. And the reason I love communion so much is it brings us together as a community. And I love the idea that we're talking about live and walk like Jesus because is there anything more like Jesus in this service than this moment? When as a church body you come to the tables and you break bread and you drink juice and you remember what Jesus has done. All over the world, I always picture on anywhere, all over the world they're breaking bread and they're drinking juice and they remember what Jesus has done. And as we come to the table, we can say simply, God, I want to be like your son. I want to be like Jesus. I want to walk like him. I want to think like him. And it starts right here at this table by remembering him. So as you approach the table, let me pray for your hearts and for all of us. Our Heavenly Father, we cannot thank you enough for the privilege all of us have every week to break bread and to drink juice. Help us to never take this lightly. Now, Lord, it is our effort to remember what your son has done for us with the ultimate goal in life to be like your son. And it's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Thank you for watching this message from Sherwood Oaks Christian Church. Did you know you can view any message from the past six years at socc.org messages? You can also view complete worship services from the past month at socc.tv.